0: A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This
1: is Peak Speed.
0: Which means we're back for the first episode of a new year. Welcome back, Damn. friends. Thanks for coming. We didn't die. No, we tried. Or I tried. St- I don't know about
1: you. St- still here.
0: I drank a lot of beer over the summer, so there's nothing wrong with that every now and again, I think.
1: Yeah. What else did you drink?
0: Uh, We went down a frozen margaritas uh, rabbit hole for a little while. That's been fun.
1: That was a direct invitation to a segue into Prism Coffee, but it failed. Fuck,
0: I I missed that completely. (laughs) Interestingly, on that note, uh, we got back from camping yesterday uh, for a couple of nights uh, and I, before I left, made a whole batch of cold brew with... Uh, Prism's Adira, I think was the one I looked at. I used, hold on, let me find the right one. Uh, but yeah, I made a bunch of, yeah, Ethiopian Adira. Uh, made a bunch of cold brew by grinding it all up to like a bit coarser than I would normally do with like, uh, pour over. Mm -hmm. Um, and... What was the ratio I used? It was, I did 750 mils of water and, or 750 grams of water. And I think I did something like 90 grams of coffee, 95 Mm -hmm. grams of coffee. Just like dumped it in cold water, stirred it all up and then let it sit for about 14 hours.
1: And then filtered it all. like... No dripping or anything? No, no, I literally, so I, the
0: the technical terms, immersion, the immersion technique, where you're literally just okay. soaking it in water for an extended period of time. So, yeah, I literally dump all the coffee into a jar, put 750 mils of water in it, stir it all up so it's properly wet and then chuck it in the fridge. Uh, I stirred it probably twice over that, you know, 14-odd hour period and then just filtered it through the Chemex, like, paper filters that I use for pour over and yeah. it was fucking delicious. Uh, yeah, and an excellent way to have a bunch of cold coffee that's good when it's hot as fuck uh, yeah. but also it's pre-made and it's ready to go which sometimes uh, is useful in terms of you know having to skip the whole process mm. uh, but yeah, well worth exploring if you're into cold brew coffee because it's really fucking easy I, I am constantly amazed at how simple it is to make mm. really good cold brew coffee when you've got good coffee beans and our friends at Prism Coffee are excellent for that Check them out. Use the code PIXPIC and save yourself some dollars.
1: Amazing. I'm a a scales guy now. Yes. What can I say? Yes. My my coffee tastes completely different in the best way possible. Excellent. I'm a a coffee guy now. Good. Half the time, I don't even put sugar in it. (laughs) Half the time. Not all the time, just half the time. (laughs) Not all the time. Yeah, sometimes I need that... uh, that
0: sweetness. That's all right. My girlfriend's recently started adding, demanding, not demanding. She's asked me to add like a vanilla syrup and make her like iced coffees. And it oh, nice. makes my soul hurt every time I do it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes the happy wife, happy life thing comes into play.
1: <laughs> what, what about a bit of condensed milk?
0: I haven't gone down that road, but it's not a bad yeah. idea. So she it's goes a bit, like a bit of vanilla Vietnamese syrup style. and then... Uh, than just milk and, like, pouring it over ice so it's cold.
1: Uh, so just like an ice vanilla latte. Yeah,
0: yeah, essentially. Um, nice. She enjoys that, but, yeah, condensed milk. I've, I've enjoyed the Vietnamese coffee options in the past, so mm. maybe we should explore that as well.
1: We'll see. Yeah, in in Vietnam, they do this egg coffee as well. Um, I, I can't it's, – it's almost like a – oh, gee, I don't even know how to describe it, but this is, like, a, a, a thick egg-based – Something or other that it's mixed with. And it's it's a little bit strange, but it's really good. Yeah,
0: it sounds really strange, good. but I'm sure it's good. Like, those sort of things often when you're like, oh, that sounds a bit odd, and then you're tasting like, oh, my God, where did that yeah. come from? I'm always impressed by those.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's the uh, Burley crew surviving the summer down there? Yeah, good, man. It's been pretty
0: fucking mild in terms of summers down here, which has been uh, a nice... Change nothing's caught fire. The air has been breathable the entire time. Fucking horrible hay fever season, but um, otherwise it's been pretty good. Everyone's sort of ramping back up into the swing of things for the new year, which is cool. Ah, uh, so yeah, everyone's just kind of chugging along. How's things up north?
1: Yeah, much the same. Like it's it hasn't been nearly as hot, but it's hard to say because now I've got aircon at the Gold Coast gym, and aircon at the Brisbane gym, and I don't go to the Southside gym as much just because so basically you've become a
0: giant spoiled child and, and it, now and it anytime time it's over 24 degrees
1: you're sweating and angry yeah so I'm I'm finding it hard to compare to other years because I don't know if it's not as hot this year or if I'm not feeling it being that hot because I'm always an Econ so um, but I, I don't think it is as hot I think yeah, it's, I reckon it's
0: a bit of both for sure yeah yeah yeah
1: alright well let's talk about peak speak stuff yes What are we, what are we talking about you had a you had a lunch?
0: Yes, had lunch with the elusive Will Berkman, formerly Will Berkman PT, but now just mm. Will Berkman because he left and has moved on to bigger and brighter things. Uh, and yeah, so, so wait,
1: was he in Canberra
0: or did you go to No, no, he, uh, he was in Canberra. Came down for a, because uh, he's a fucking part of the... <laughs> mega nerd contingent of the powerlifting world he was in canberra to commentate at a super smash brothers tournament Oh, because uh, yeah it turns out berkman's a massive nerd who'd have thought oh yeah that's right <laughs> definitely me i definitely knew that <laughs> um but yeah so caught up with will which is cool uh, always nice to catch up with friends that we don't get to see very often uh and we chatted about a bunch of things including his move away from fitness but um the One of the topics that really stuck with me was talking about the uh, asymmetrical nature of a coaching relationship and that uh, it's often, I think, m- misled by – or a lot of clients are misled by the idea that uh, – they are our most important thing and that the our world revolves around each individual in a way that I don't think is ultimately conducive to a, a productive relationship. So I thought we could talk a bit about uh, sort of expanding on that idea and, and what it means, but also then some practical advice for both coaches in terms of how you can set up your side of the relationship to be as advantageous and smooth and streamlined as possible, but also then... Uh, what the client side can look like in a way that is about getting the most out of your coaching investment, but also ensuring that you're making life as easy as you can for the coach that you're working with. Because I think, you know, the, the new year often sees the, the start of new coaching relationships and people pursuing new endeavors. And I think now more than ever is a, a really great time to have a conversation about what the you know common mistakes are and how can we all avoid them because ultimately it's a, it's a two-way street and there are at a
1: minimum two parties involved in
0: in making this thing work so yeah i thought we could talk about that
1: so just for everyone listening and definitely not me not understanding Um, When you say asymmetrical, you're talking in the sense that like the the way that the client views you is very different to how you view the client in terms of, you know, they see you as one coach, whereas you see them a client in a pool of many clients.
0: Exactly. I think in almost all cases, we are generally the only coach a person has. Maybe they've got a coach for lifting and a coach for nutrition or something like that. But in most cases, at least the average client I see has one coach and I'm that one coach. And so... That puts me on a pedestal in a way that doesn't happen in reverse because they are one of the 60-odd people I'm currently coaching. And that's not to suggest in any way that each individual is any less important than any other individual. But I think it shows up in a disparity in the energy and time you're committing to each aspect of it because I'm managing multiple people and multiple relationships and all of those sort of things that that entails. And then also in the case of people like you and i who own gyms and and businesses outside of just being a professional coach also then have competing priorities around how you manage your time and and things like that as well so Mm -hmm. yeah that that's really what i'm referring to in the in that context um i i think it's really easy for this conversation to start off sounding a lot like an old crusty coach whinging about clients not making my life as easy as they could, um, which I don't want this to come off as because I, more than anyone, I think in in any relationship I've had, I recognize that often I'm the problem and I am almost always the first person to jump on, well, something's gone wrong in this relationship. It's probably my fault. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of coaches, that's a really easy default position to take because mm-hmm. we all care. Like I, I'm yet to meet anyone I've met a lot of shit coaches, but I'm yet to meet anyone who comes in a, into a, a coaching relationship with a malicious intent or is in, mm. you know, trying to do anything other than provide the best possible service that they are capable of. And I think a lot of us yes. go above and beyond what could be reasonably expected for the fees that people pay. I think the service that mm-hmm. most of the good coaches I know offer far outstrips the, the value they offer in in what they do far outstrips any monetary value they're getting out of it in return. And none of us are doing this because we want to roll in piles and piles of cash from the jump. We get into it with the view that this is something I love and and I want to be able to help people experience it positively like I have and, and do all of those things. I mean, I genuinely give a shit about everyone I work with. But on the flip side of that, there are also then ways that can make everything just a little bit smoother and a little bit more manageable because I think if if you let it and I think we've seen coaches of our generation, if you will, in terms of you know people we came up with who have no longer who no longer work in the industry. You know, Burke's one of them amongst many others who for whatever reason have walked away and often I think the emotional cost of a coaching relationship in an ongoing fashion is part of that because I think it can Mm -hmm. be an incredibly, incredibly emotionally intensive career if you let it get the better of you in that respect. And there are obviously lots of ways that as a coach you can set your career up in a way that reduces that impact, Um, but it's still going to be there whether you accept it or not is a different story.
1: Yeah, there's there's several layers that immediately come come to my mind that would have to be discussed to have a proper conversation around this um, because it is it is a lot more complex than just like you know overbearing or overemotional clients or like this this asymmetry that you talk about. There's so much more to it and. The the first point is the the first point you raised around like actual business systems. Yeah. Like to me, the the, the immediate points are like business systems, um, you know, expectations, all that sort of stuff, and then communication skill and style, uh, and medium, and then uh, actual personality type, uh, of both coach and client. And I I think this is where I uh, see a lot of coaches going wrong when I'm taking people through the coach development stuff is. Um, People fall into online coaching because online coaching is mainly what people are doing these days or people fall into coaching in general with a very slow build. And so like the uh, style systems, whatever that they use when they start out can cater to being like uh, immediate turnaround on communication, constant communication. Because I've only got one person or three people <laughs> yeah. or something like that. When you've Or got, even 15 30... people. Like, it, yeah. it,
0: it can still be easy to right. do a 24 hour turnaround in that
1: context or even less than that, you know? For sure. But when it turns into 30, 50, 100, 150, you, you have to have defined systems, structures, processes around when, how communication happens, what's involved with the communication, boundaries around what's okay to talk about, what's not. Um, and Uh, if you don't set those up you'll communicate them with your actions so if you don't tell people oh i generally only respond to coaching messages during work hours which for me are 6 a.m to 3 p.m if you're replying to people at 9 9 p.m at night you know or 9 p.m you're you're telling them it's okay to talk to me at this time because i will reply and so when you stop doing it they say fuck this guy's he doesn't care about me anymore like you send messages without sending messages so it's important to set those expectations very clearly from the start but it's impossible for you to do that unless a someone tells you how to do that and what that what that involves uh, or b you get burned yeah. and so for us you know we've been burned over the years 100%. and so we develop these skills um if you're not as you know emotionally thick skinned or you you can't take confrontation you'll you'll burn out you'll hate it you'll uh, get emotionally taxed Um, you'll ruin relationships because you'll become emotionally charged and heated and end up in arguments all the time Uh, so like so much of this can be solved just by setting up very clear expectations from the start
0: yeah man i think that for me was one of the lessons i learned through the lockdown process was having the forced physical space from going to the gym regularly Put me in a position where I realized how overextended I was in terms of, and again, only really with hindsight, I realized how overextended I was in the amount of time I was making available to my job. And, and, you know, the nature of owning your own business is that it never really stops. Like, you know, Mm. I went away camping over the weekend and like, yeah, I wasn't checking messages. Partly because the first couple of times I defaulted to just like opening the messaging thing that I realized there was no reception, it wouldn't load. And I was like, well, at least I don't. And I still fucking opened it a couple of times on my phone mm. just out of pure habit. So happ- automatic. Yeah. yeah. And so it was. it's things <clears throat> like that. And like you say, being burned. I recently rewrote uh, the expectations document we have about like here's how the coaching expectations work. Here are the guidelines around the communication hierarchy in terms of where to get in contact, how to get in contact, when, all of those sort of things. Uh, like you, I, I stress the idea that like, yeah, I might reply to your message at 9 p.m. at night only because it happened to be convenient to me at the time, but the expectation that I will do that is unreasonable. And I've had a few mm. situations like that where I've had to put my foot down and explain to someone that like what you're expecting of me is unreasonable based not just on what you are paying and how this membership process works. And, yeah, part of that is on me for not explaining that effectively enough to begin with. But part of it's also on you for not recognizing that, like, I'm a one-person business and the expectation that I can turn things around in the same way that a multi-person conglomerate can turn around (laughs) things is completely unreasonable. Uh, And I think the the problem is often... That And this is where that asymmetrical aspect comes in. Often clients are in a position where they only think about training and what they need in and around training when it's convenient to them, right? Mm. And, and this reiterates the need for systems around how you do check-ins, how you track who's ready for programs, those sort of things. But like the example Burke and I talked about was you know being in a position where Like on a Monday, you've got six programs you've got to update and four of them haven't done their check-ins and you need answers from them. And so you send messages immediately and then you start working on the other two, but then you're in a position where they don't get back to you for 12 plus hours. And suddenly, especially like in my case, in the way that my week pans out, that then just chunks me back further in my week puts me further Mm. behind because then I'm working on shit I should have done on Monday on Tuesday which then means the shit I'm supposed to be doing on a Tuesday is suddenly pushed back and it becomes this rolling thing that is really hard to even with good systems it's really hard to stay on top of as a coach Mm. because you end up in a position where you're constantly chasing people for information and feedback and stuff like that but yet those same people will then be like oh well you haven't replied to my message in 12 hours what the fuck's that about and why aren't you on top of this? And it's like, well, A, like 12 hours, if you're telling people you've got a 12-hour turnaround on replying messages, that is super fucking quick. And I am impressed at your ability to do that. I hazard a guess that you're probably going to throw yourself under a bus at some point. (laughs) I think like the expectation around a minimum of 24-hour turnaround is, I think, reasonable. And 24 business hours. Like the idea that you can send me a message at, Eleven thirty on a saturday which is technically inside my work hours because i work to one on a saturday but then expect me to have replied by 6 a.m on monday it's like well no you like in reality if i reply at 6 a.m on monday that's a two and a half hour turnaround in my books because mm. i don't count saturday afternoon and sunday because they're not work hours mm. um and, and i think part of this is also based on the idea of instant messaging People forget that instant messaging Mm. means I am in a position where I can message you instantly. The expectation seems to be that the reply should be instant and that's where you run into issues as well. And again, it all comes down to, from the coach's perspective at least, setting those expectations early, having good systems in place and all of those sort of things. But I think it's a really useful opportunity to remind people of What coaching can actually be like and and how intensive it can really be in a way that I think a lot of people don't understand and don't recognize because Mm. they have these unreasonable expectations that are often set up by (coughs) people who are coaches who are scared of saying no to people and scared of losing clients because they didn't get back to people and things like that. I can't tell you the number of times it's taken me, you know, a week of the two weeks I've had off at the end of the year to like actually just calm down a bit and stop stressing about things I feel like I should be doing because partly that's how my brain fucking works and constantly feeling like I've forgotten to do something. Um, But also being in a position where it's like, it, it is okay to take time away from my business and be able to, let things happen like nothing i'm doing is that urgent that someone's going to die if i don't get back to a message in 24 Mm. hours and i think sometimes it's a nice reminder from a coach to be like hey it's okay to not get back to people like you know read Mm. that message you go yeah cool well that's a monday problem and i'll deal with that on monday because Mm. i don't need to get back to you now and your life's not going to be any worse because of it
1: Mm. and it's it is so easy as as coaches, because we have, a, like you were saying earlier, we have a, a a strong desire to get the most for our clients. You know, we, we care a lot, and so it's very easy to consistently go above and beyond expectation, and then to rewrite a new expectation without without people, you know, recognizing that you're doing extra beyond what you've said you're going to do. Um, you know th- what you were just saying there as well in terms of um you know the the type of client as a coach that you'll attract if you you know if you tell someone oh my my cost of online coaching is whatever forty dollars fifty dollars a week and they say oh sorry it's too expensive you know oh, i'll do it for 30 i'll do it for 20 if those are the kind of people that you're working with you're going to have this more and more and more and more yep because the people the people that are the cheapest tend to be the hardest clients to work with you exactly know? um and that's not to say just jack up your prices and hope for the best because you can't provide a service. This is the thing as well. Like, I, uh, um, Anthony, uh, Australian Yeti, posted a thing a little while ago about uh, about online coaching prices.
0: Yes, and, that was um, that was a really know, good post. I really like that.
1: Yeah, I, I made a big comment. It's pinned on there. So if you go to his page and you find that post, my, my comment's pinned at the top, and it's talking about um, when it comes to prices, you know, saying – online coaching is X amount of dollars is just like saying a car is X amount of dollars. It's like, yeah, I mean, you can buy a car, uh, but buying a Gets is not the same thing as buying a Ferrari. You know, the product is very different. And so we can't just look at online coaching as a thing that has a price attached to it. Uh, And what you'll find is as you scale the ladder, you're not paying for coaching, you're paying for a result. And if you want a result and you're paying for it, ideally you're going to adhere to the systems the expectations that fall within that arrangement within that product that you've bought and uh, the better the product is normally the more uh the more intensive and clear those expectations and systems are Um, and so as a coach listening if you're listening to this as a coach um, you know, there's a, there's a certain aura of professionalism that comes with having this stuff all written out and planned and organized. Not only will it help you, it'll help your clients. And it's a sellable point, you know, you can you can use this in your arsenal of, of uh, presenting yourself as a professional that people are willing to pay for. Uh, so, you know, again, the, the first layer for me is getting on top of this business stuff, cre- creating clear expectations. Like John was saying earlier, um, it is good to take that sort of stance of extreme ownership and come back to what, what if they haven't understood something, was I clear enough about yep. it? And there'll always be some people that you're just like, okay, well, they're outliers. But generally, you can reflect back, go back to your service, clean something up. Uh, and once you're sure that you've done your absolute best on that, then you can start to peel apart the other layers. Yeah, man. And,
0: and the problem with that approach is it's really easy to default to it was your fault. Like... Hmm. You know, I had an example recently had some people cancel their membership uh, that like they sent me a bunch of feedback with the cancellation request about these things that weren't meeting their expectations that I had heard none of, right? Like I was in a position where I was like, well, why the fuck didn't you tell me any of that before this? Like you got to a point where you've made the decision about canceling things, but then come to me with a series of feedback points about like, here's why we're canceling. These are all grievances I've never heard before. And so you know my my default emotional brain reaction is like well fuck you for not telling me any of that earlier and why wouldn't you just like talk to me about these things because i appreciate that you know the way to continue to get the most out of it is talk about it and, and communicate in a way that allows you to recognize like hey i made a mistake because i didn't show you the the right pathway for what this expectation should be and then also you made a mistake by not talking to me about it and, and those sort of things but then again, on on reflection, you come back and you're like, okay, well, where did I fuck up and why did we get to a point where I feel like this is their fault when it's almost always my fault first? Mm-hmm. Um, but then being, you know, consequently, I rewrote everything and made it really clear, outlined everything in really plain, simple ideas that were... I think really easy to follow that now every client I have signs, like signs a thing saying they've read it, whether they actually fucking read it or not. That's to be seen. Um, mm-hmm. But it's those sort of things that I think if you are serious about making this a career as a coach, you need to be able to reflect on your own mistakes, but also reflect on your mistakes in a way that doesn't make it out. Like it's always your fault. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes it is like sometimes people are just idiots and they haven't read the things they were supposed to read or haven't followed the processes that you've quite clearly laid out for them and maybe they can't be helped or maybe they're not ready for what it is that you're providing in terms of that service and those sort of things. Um, All of which are are reasonable problems to have. The the services Mm. you offer can't be for everyone by the nature of them. That's just an untenable way to have a coaching career because you'll get to a point where you can't scale in a way that you can do this anymore or you're in a position where you're running yourself so quickly into the ground by over-delivering on a really cheap service with a bunch of people who don't give a fuck about you uh, and just want what they want and then you're done and you'll never come back. So I I think there's, you know, like anything, there's multiple sides to the discussion. But um, like you said, the first port of call has to be communication and the, the systems that you have in place for that because without that framework, The rest of those points that you mentioned, things like communication, personality types and stuff, are completely irrelevant because you're just shooting fish in a barrel, right? You're trying to figure it out Mm. on the fly as you go, rather than having a really clear expectation around, here's the product I offer, here's what the different tiers look like in terms of, you know, is it weekly feedback and check-ins? Is it fortnightly? Is it monthly? Is it end of block? Those sort of things. All of that feeds then into how do we communicate and the styles we communicate in and, and mm. personality types and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And exactly what you were just saying about feedback sort of segues nicely into into that next point of communication style. Like, I, I think you and I, uh, from an interesting generation where we were, like, just, just a little bit after where people were forced to communicate well in person, uh, but also, you know, in our formative years, quickly developed into everything became electronic communication. Yep. So some of us are lucky enough to have a little bit of best of both worlds. I'd say most of us probably teeter more towards the electronic side of things. Yep. Um, and, you know, us sort of coming into our early 30s have to recognize, okay, well, the electronic side of things often is the least effective style of communication yes. between, you know, electronic phone call, face-to-face kind of thing. Yep. Uh, and I, my fear is that, you know, more and more business, more and more of this coaching stuff is happening with younger people and more and more younger people are turning coaching into a business and communication is going to be a thing that, uh, uh, that may be like a bottleneck for a lot of people because they simply do not know how to pick up the phone and talk to someone or sit them down face to face and talk to someone. And I mean... Most people listening to this should know this, but it's always better. Like seeing yeah. someone or hearing someone's empathy, emotion is a very, you can have the most aggressive text conversation, pick up the phone and it'll be a completely different conversation straight away. Yeah, because and, you
0: infer tone in a text message based on your own emotions around that subject.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so if you're already pent up, everything that the other person says is going to be wrong. Yeah,
0: and seems combative and seems like they're trying to be, you know, brutal about, like, the difference between a a full stop and, like, three full stops. You know, (laughs) like, it's like, oh, fuck that bastard, like, look at him. And it's like, man, you could just have this conversation
1: in a way that, yeah, would be much simpler and much easier, you know. They put a genuine smiling emoji, and you're like, "Well, they suck." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have you? Th- there's actually a really good, you know, who Key and Peel are. Key when and Peel name rings a bell. Uh, there's like um, comedy channel sort of sketch yeah. sketch guys. Um, there's a really good one where they're, they're texting each other, and one of them's real angry, and one of them's just like, "Yeah, whatever," and like it's completely misunderstood. Anyway, um, Sam, you can put that in the link into the, the description. <laughs> Um, yeah, this this communication style thing is 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 crazy because like I, I've had situations in the past because I you know communication is a new skill for me. Yeah, it's something that I've had to learn as business grows. It's something that I've had to learn to grow business, um, and I can recall so many conversations where I felt thought um, got reassurance that I was doing all the right things, and it was just a, watching a train wreck. Um, and it would have been so easily solved if I just like grabbed the person's number, gave them a call, um, invited them for a time to, to speak if they were local, whatever. Uh, and yeah, I, I can't speak for how powerful it is just to pick up the phone or talk to someone properly rather than over text, because again, text, you overanalyze, you write and delete 20,000 times, you, you can't have a very real conversation
0: and as an example of that i think for me one of the biggest and most effective changes i've made over the last couple of years in the way i do feedback coaching stuff you know training block outlines things like that is i just do all of it with video now like i mm-hmm. instead of writing a wall of text that i send to people for them to overanalyze often misinterpret not understand you know just made all of that more clunky now i record a 3 to 7 minute video talking about what i can see and what's going on showing people what i can see and being able to like play someone's videos back to them and draw on them and and do all that kind of stuff in a way that is just infinitely more effective at getting my point across even as things as simple as being able to like laugh at different points and you know make fun of things and do all that stuff in a way that helps i think at least from my point of view, break the ice a little bit, especially early in a coaching relationship and especially early in a online, exclusively online coaching relationship. Um, you're helping build rapport, things like that, but also helping people actually get the point across in a way that's way more effective than a wall of text because, and I had this discussion with someone this morning, After 20-something years of lifting weights and, you know, over 10 years of being a professional coach, there are things I talk about sometimes that I just assume everyone knows. Mm. And then I'm reminded by someone who's, like, very new to the process or just comes from a different background than I do, like, oh, that thing that I just assumed everyone knew as a default part of human understanding isn't <laughs> and mm-hmm. I have to do a better job of explaining that and and showing people that and it's not just as simple as like hey if anything doesn't make sense tell me like it's about actually being able to talk through those things because I think a lot of people especially people who are new to a coaching relationship and you know I'd don't necessarily know about your sporting history perfectly but I've been coached my whole life like I've been in sport for a very long time and so been able to be criticized and improve upon things based on that because it's been a huge part of my life for a long time uh so my default is always like, talk to me. Let's have a conversation about what's going wrong and what are you not happy about and how can we help the like help this? And it's not because I'm having a confrontation with you or because I'm trying to convince you not to cancel your membership or whatever the case may be. More often than not, it's because I just want to know more about like what went wrong and what didn't you like and what can we do better next time or better for the next person in a way that makes the whole process easier and, and smoother. But I think a lot of people especially, and I know we've talked about this in the past in in various ways, but in this environment, and I think especially more so in in my environment where most of my clients are in-person clients anyway, and I see them multiple times a week, it's really easy for them to become friendly and then be in a position where they feel like they're going to hurt my feelings in some way by mm. offering criticism or things like that. Or it feels to them like the power dynamic doesn't allow for that. And I can appreciate perhaps I'm an intimidating person to be around sometimes. And in this environment, my personality stands out because I'm at the head of the community. That's how these things work. And, and so by that very nature, it, it can be a bit intimidating to talk to someone like me. I have an open door. I'm here to, to have these conversations with people because, yeah, I might be emotionally confronted by it at first, but I am getting better and better as I age at removing my own emotion from that issue and being able to talk to the person about what it is they're struggling with and, and what they feel like I'm not doing well in a way that is ultimately productive for everyone involved.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I, like I, I completely echo that. I, I always wonder if... Because to me, I I feel like you're kind of a, a you're a strong personality mm. and, and strong personalities and confident, like higher volume per- personalities do tend to be a little bit intimidating. Um And I feel like I'm not like that. I feel like I'm pretty quiet and reserved, but I'm confident. And I feel like maybe my confidence comes across because everyone tells me, oh, it's so scary to talk to you or you're so intimidating or whatever. I'm like, what? How? I feel like I'm like the nicest guy in here. Um And... I don't know if that's just a reflection of our our generation. They're scared of confidence. I don't know if it is the power thing. I don't know if it's it's probably a combination of everything. Yeah, I think it's all Uh, of those things. And so hearing that from us, you as coaches out there should learn from that and be like, okay, well, maybe it's useful for me to build in some sort of feedback mechanism that provides an open... Um, an open, safe communication pathway for clients to give me feedback. You have to invite them to give you feedback. You have to, and whether or not that's directly from them or anonymously or or however you decide to do it, hearing from your clients is going to be the best thing uh, for all of this. And the worst part about that though is it's
0: like I do it once a quarter or so, send out a like, what can we do better survey? Nothing, everything's
1: fine. Yeah, well, it's always,
0: (laughs) I always do it anonymously. Um, because I know that means you get more honest feedback. Uh, I always find it really confronting. Like, it doesn't matter how well I feel like I'm doing. The first week after I send that survey out, I am, like, a bit emotional about things and just, like, not in a good mood. Because I like it's highlighting where are the things I'm doing poorly. And and that is regardless of how confident you are in what you do and your professional capabilities and your business and all that kind of thing, I think you would not be human if you don't find that feedback, especially the negative feedback. And the important thing I think in this context is often to do a what are we doing well separate from what are we doing poorly. Because mm-hmm. it's really easy for people to be like, yeah, you're doing all these things, great. And then just like gloss over the, the shit they're not happy with. I'd rather get a like really positive, hey, these are the things I really love. And then two months later, get a like, here's all the stuff I hate and I'm really annoyed about. Mm-hmm. I like, I'm fucking 10 years in, 12 years in or whatever it is. I still find it really confronting uh, mm-hmm. and, and hard, like emotionally hard to take all of that on board and be proactive about making change it's often deeply insightful, like a really nice insight into the areas of my life that I thought I was doing really well with that maybe I'm not. Um, But it still hurts. Like it is is still emotionally charged regardless of how objective I think I can be about my own career and my own skills and all of that kind of stuff. Um, It's really easy as a coach to hide from that because it's emotionally hard. Um, But I think you will be a better coach for asking it uh, and you might lose some people in the long run because of it. And I think often you'll lose people who you are meant to lose. You know, like mm. I think back to one I did a, a few years ago where this person who like, I, I knew who it was based on their feedback and the way they laid it out. Cause you know, I have a small enough community that I'm, I'm pretty on top of who's who. So even an anonymous feedback isn't maybe that anonymous, um, But this person basically like completely misunderstood what my business model was and how they were doing things. And they basically suggested a complete overhaul of how we do it. I was like, well, like sure, you've got some points about how I can communicate things effectively and stuff like that. But also you've just highlighted to me that you're not the right fit for my business model. And I'm okay with that. And Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that person then left or had filled the survey out not long after they left, that kind of thing. Um, and, And so in that scenario, it was both... Confronting to be like, well, hey, you're wrong. Like, stop trying to tell me how to run my business in a way that goes beyond just like providing consumer feedback. This was like, here's a business overhaul for you. <laughs> uh, like, you know, the suggestion was like, you should run classes and you should get treadmills and do these things. It's like, well, no, you have missed the point. Um, but at the same time, it, it's a great filtering process for like, hey, that person was not the right fit for what I want to get out of the clients that I work with um mm-hmm. and that in itself is also incredibly powerful
1: for sure yeah absolutely i mean this is this is sort of uh, now s- switching into that third layer which is like personality type you have yeah. to be someone uh, and like you just said it's okay to get emotional about the mm. the feedback the criticism whatever you want to call it that you receive especially the more of a one man show that you are yeah and uh, or one woman or one person the more the more of a one thing show that you are the business is you. Everything that the business is doing is you. And so it is very difficult to not have that er- as a reflection of you as a human. Yes. And and you the have to understand. to my soul. <laughs> uh, you have to understand that it's just like, yeah, it is part of you as a human, but it's one very small part and it's not your complete identity. And it's okay to work on small parts and it's okay for small parts to change. And not everyone is for everyone and all of that jazz. Um, but you have to, you know, you have to be willing to withstand some hurt. Yes. You have to be willing to withstand some pain. And on the other side of that, you have to be willing to accept that your way is not always the best way um, and that you exist to serve the customer. And sometimes we as business owners believe that everyone's want, everyone wants something that they don't. And when we hear them say they want something else, it can be a, it can feel like a direct attack. Absolutely not. No, we're never going to do that. Everyone wants it. Do it. You're there to serve them. Um, that that's a really, really, really hard thing to deal with. And um, I mean, th- this filters back up the, the chain. You know, the, the the poorer your business systems, the poorer your communication uh, styles and mediums are, the more this level will hurt. And the more likely you are to just disappear at this level, yep. to just be like, I can't do this. I can't handle this as as a person. And I mean, you're strong enough to do it. You're strong enough to, to be resilient enough to do it. Um, it can be hard. You just have to listen and make those changes as necessary.
0: Yeah. And, and accept that, like you said, you, you're not for everyone. Like that's the thing that you, know, you, you described me as a strong personality. I realized a long time ago that either we gel or we don't, and I'm okay with that. And I've, like, lost members who we've just had personality clashes. It's like, well, yeah, cool. Like, I'm okay with there being a personality clash, but at the same time, this is my house. And you've got to remember that, like as much as this business serves like exists to serve people it is still my business that i choose how things go because that's why i got into this like i got into this because i like being my own boss i like setting my own rules and so while i will do my best to take on as much constructive feedback as i can and am constantly working to evolve both professionally and personally in a way that continues to help my business thrive and help me as a person enjoy my life more and all of those sort of things at the same time, like I'm okay with it not being for everyone, and and for me, it was actually in uh, very early in the piece. I used to think uh, what I wanted to do in the the fitness industry was work professionally in strength and conditioning, right? Like I wanted to work mm-hmm. for the Brumbies. That was my thing. I went to a, a lifelong rugby tragic, and I loved the idea of working professionally with with rugby. And it was pointed out to me actually by Marcus um, very early in the piece in a, almost a throwaway way where it's like, uh, like in that scenario maybe you get a squad of 30 people You know, maybe six of them really love training like you do and the rest are there because it's their job uh, and so what you get is you're constantly beholden to someone else for a start uh, and also you have to convince people to be bought into it right? Mm-hmm. and that still exists in the environment I'm now in But once you get people through that initial stage of like joining up and like the way our membership works, you paid a few hundred bucks up front to join and do one-on-one sessions and stuff like that. That's all designed partly as a filtration process for the person in that if you're unwilling to commit in this way, then I probably don't want to work with you. Partly as a filtration process for the community because if you get through those sessions and it becomes apparent you're a dick, I'm probably going to send you away. And then also as a way of helping people recognize that they've got skin in the game and they're ready to actually mm. do the work because I can be the best coach in the world and I can have the most effective systems in the world and the most perfectly laid out program in the world, but I can't do the work for you. Uh, and a good coach shouldn't expected, be expected to do the work for you. You're here to mm. to create an experience that helps people get where they want to go. But the work is someone else's responsibility and if people come into this process without with the expectation that it's maybe going to be really easy and they're not going to have to think so much about it then maybe the product i offer isn't for you and i'm okay Mm. with that right and it took me a long time to be professionally okay with that uh but i am very much professionally okay with it now because what it's meant is the people i work with i really enjoy working with i Mm. I am happy doing what I'm doing and continuing to evolve things in that way because I've laid my business out in a way that makes me happy and, and means I get to work with the people I want to work with. Uh, and I think the sooner you can get to that point, and unfortunately the only way to get to that point is to try working with everyone and and mm-hmm. realize who you don't gel with and, and what sort of people you don't want to work with. Uh, I think that's the hard bit. That's the... You know, Angus Bradley talks about eating shit for a few years as part of a, being a PT or a coach early on. That's part of that. I think you got to yeah. eat shit by working with a bunch of people you don't really want to work with to realize that they're the people you don't want to work with. Um, and then you can set yourself up in a way that only serves the people you want to work with and, and puts you in a position where a lot of this is almost secondary because you've you've put yourself in a position where these are the people you get coming to you. Mm-hmm you know it's it's things as simple as like listing your prices on your on your website and things like that you know i went through a phase of not putting my prices on the internet because i felt like i needed to explain to you how things worked before i told you the number because it would be confronting for you to read the number without the context mm. now i recognize that actually that's a really great filtering process because if you contact me about membership inquiries having read my website and seen how the membership works even in a brief outline you are automatically better qualified as a lead to be sold to in that context, mm. right? So it goes both ways, and I think, like I said, you gotta eat shit for a little while to, to get to that point, but there are definitely some things you can do to, to put yourself in a better position to begin with.
1: For sure, and I'd add to that that the, that if you're starting out, you don't know who you want to work exactly. with. exactly. Because you've got an idea of who your ideal client is and who you want to work with, and it's almost never who you're actually best suited to work with. And what you'll find is, as you figure out who you're best suited to work with, you get a lot more job satisfaction out of that, and they're the people that you want then to work with. Um, like, it, everyone comes in with this pipe dream of, I'm going to help athletes, you know. Athletes are often the worst fucking N- clients. NRL or whatever. <laughs> or I'm going to help mums or whatever it is. And you, you can have that target market, but your your best target market is the one that you're best suited to serve and you don't really know that until you start serving them exactly Uh, and and you don't know who you need to serve until you serve sort of everyone and like you said filter it out if you're pt coming into this you know yeah um all right i feel like we've been waffling on for long enough unless you've got anything else no man
0: i think that pretty much covers all the points i wanted to talk about i think it's more than anything though I think the takeaway should be that uh, as a coach if you're not happy talk to your clients and if you're a client and you're not happy talk to your fucking coach because ultimately almost all of these problems can be solved just with a conversation or two you know Uh, and I think a lot of people would be much happier would get better results and all of those sort of things just by coming into it without any expectations around what the other person's thinking but having an open and honest discussion about where each of you are and how you can get to where you need to go
1: Hmm. Yeah. I I, I can, I, I literally can't count how many times a client ha, or a, a prospect has come to me being like, look, I'm, I'm thinking of signing up to your coaching. Um, I don't know how to tell my current coach that I'm leaving. Uh, I've got all these problems. What, what do I say to them? And like, I normally say, before you consider coming over to us or to me, why don't you go back and present those problems to them? Because how can they ever learn and grow unless you do that? And I'd say, probably 95% of the time that I've said that, they've gone away and solved their coaching issue and then stayed with that coach. And for me, that's a win. 100%. Because I I don't want a client to come to me that's then not willing to talk about the issues that they have and then just coach hop and never make any progress as a result. I care about them getting progress. And then you're not going to get progress unless you have a working coaching relationship and you can only have that with, with adequate communication. Exactly. Uh, I think that is a great point to leave it on. All right. We love you. Goodbye.
0: Thanks for coming. Bye.